parents, welcome to the Twiniversity Podcast, a show created exclusively for parents of twins. I'm your host, Natalie Diaz. I am a mom of twins. I am also the Twiniversity founder, and I am the best-selling author of the book, What to Do When You're Having Two. Our goal at Twiniversity is to make sure that you always feel connected, we laugh at the little things, and we really do get to teach you a few tricks along the way. And that is what we hope this podcast is about to do. So welcome to Twiniversity. Jewel. Nat. What are we talking about today? We're talking about toddler behavior. Yes. Do you remember those times? Um, I feel like I, I like, like blocked it out. A lot of it. I I have a lot of pictures though. That helps me remember. (laughs) Now toddlers, we're talking about one-year-olds and two-year-olds. We could throw three and we could like, I mean, like one and two, it was just like constantly thinking someone was going to seriously injure themselves. I feel, I felt like, uh, like a, like a goalie, like some sort of linebacker. I'm not sure what, but I was constantly like, whoa. Okay. Well, and I also had boys who, and one of them with ADHD at the time, we didn't know that, but like just wild, this bull in a China shop constantly. We had mats all over the floor because we had hardwood floors. Yes. We had so many gates. By the way, my hot tip for gates is make sure to buy some um, glow tape to put on it. Yeah. Cause Mike would always trip on the bottom bar in the middle of the night. Oh, that's flying. like the real gate. I'm talking, I'm thinking we didn't have like real gates that like went in a doorway. Yeah. I had the gates that were very thick plastic and I used to tie them to, this is not even a joke. We, I have a, so we have what's, what's called railroad apartments. And so okay. if you guys haven't ever heard of this term, what it means is that instead of having a big square and yeah. then all your rooms are situated, I have a straight rectangle and my rooms go one after the other, after the other. And when the, the twenties were little, we had like um, a pen, right? So like the gates all around, like the, oct- Oh yeah, we had that too. <laughs> so when they got bigger, okay, we had to open the octagon Mm-hmm. And we used it to kind of block off a section of the house, but because we could not put like, you just can't leave the oct- like half of the octagon, like open. Otherwise it's just going to fall down. Okay. We actually um, nailed it to the wall and then tied the other side to a radiator. Nailed it. Sorry, That's, that, that was my version of it. So yeah, you do what you, you got to do to keep them safe. But Jewel, like if you're thinking about like toddler times, like what's the one thing that got you through those tough times? Like what's a hack that you, people love that word hack. Oh, what's they love like hacks. one hack that you were like, this definitely works. You have to do this. Oh my God. Well, I mean, Gates for sure like keep the gates up. Don't take the gates down until you're sure that your kids can be wandering into a room by themselves and that you don't have to worry that they're going to somehow injure or kill themselves. That was so much of the toddler era era was just like, how do I keep them alive? (laughs) They didn't know. They didn't know. I mean, danger. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like there must be some people out there who have twins who maybe it's because I had boys. Maybe if I had girls, it wouldn't be as much of a concern but maybe not. I just feel like when you've got two of the same developmental age, like they're copying each other on everything they do. So it's like when somebody starts trying to climb that thing, then the other one's trying to climb that thing. Like they're just like, oh, but like if you just had one baby, they might not think to do that. 
But it, since they have another yeah. one right there, that baby is doing that thing. And then they're like, oh, I will now do that too. So now you've got two babies trying to pull down that entire dresser. And it's, it, that's what makes it like so much more difficult, like exponentially difficult, I feel. It's they're a gang. It, and they gang, gang up on you too. And you <laughs> are in trouble. My big hack would be find a playground that's fenced in. Hallelujah, A to the men. That's going to be my just go there. Yeah. We, I had to walk a mile each way in the snow uphill, Uh, but (laughs) literally it was was really a mile to get to this one particular park that I found that was totally gated in. And not only was it in, you had to have private key access. (gasps) Ooh, fancy. Did you have to pay for that? I didn't. But no, and you of course you didn't. You couldn't. You couldn't pay for it. It was not even an option. But it was oh, okay. supposedly only open for the residents of this building complex. <gasps> and I remember that I would I would pass this gated park that's called the Key Park mm-hmm. in the village. And for anybody who lives in New York City, it's in the Washington Square Village apartments, which are mostly like NYU professors and like fancy people, right? And then there's schlubs like me that are walking from Chinatown. I love that you use the word schlub. But that was the closest place that was a park. And so they said, um, like, no, like, like one time I went and I tried to like sneak in Mm -hmm. and one of the moms are like, do you have a key here? And I'm like, no, I said, but I do have twins and I'm just trying to keep them safe. And they're like, well, you can't come in unless you have a key. Jewel, it was for real. I was dang. They trying to clear out the riffraff. I am the riffraff. So with my tail between my legs, I like left and I went to Washington Square Park, which also had uh, a gate, but the park was so much bigger. So I couldn't really keep an eye on them. Plus it had very dangerous structures. So then I said, there's got to be something to this. And this is where the life of a twin mom comes into it because I'm like, this is my baby's safety at hand. How do I get the key? How do you, how did you get the key? Now I got to know. Did somebody no. drop it and you and you picked it up and you're like, my key? No, because I wanted the key in my name. Now I was going to be legit. Now that that woman was trying to shun me. Yeah. And she wanted to be like, shame, shame. Where's the bell? Ding, 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 ding. Shame. Literally. It was here. I have a bell. Game of Throne fans out there. Shame. <laughs> my mom's going to actually think that I need something. That's why she gave me oh that bell. God. I'm going to start calling you Cersei. Uh, so I went to the building management office. And I had, I couldn't get in there with a double stroller because there was multiple steps. So I remember leaving the stroller at the bottom of the steps and then walking to the management office. And I was like, listen, I'm in a jam here. I really want access to your park. I will volunteer to clean the park on weekends. I will plan things like whatever you need me to do. I will do because I need a scholarship for this park. (laughs) Yeah, I need, I need to get into this park. This is not a want this is a need. And she's like, well, you know, it's only open for residents. And she's like, let me speak to my building managers. And I said, okay. Cause it was the chick at the desk. So that was like on a Thursday, I go back on a Monday with a big tray of Starbucks nice. and I'm like, Hey, just checking in, you know, I want to know And she's like, well, actually what I did find out is that we allow 10 community residents outside of the building to have a key, but you have to live within a one mile radius. And I was like, dude, I'm within a one mile radius. I got this. So 
I actually wasn't. And let me just tell you something. I feel like I have to confess this. And now that I have the key. So my building is like 15 feet from a one mile radius. Oh, give me a break. That's the one. I use my family's restaurant address because that was in the hilarious. And you know how close that is. It's literally, it's it's a half a block. Correct. So I did that. And then maybe it took a month to get that key. And I got the key. And let me tell you something. When I saw that mother, which is only half a word in the way that I want to use it right now, when I saw her and I was like, boop, boop with my key. And she looked at me and I looked at her and I'm like, Hey, are you enjoying the key part today? (laughs) Oh God. It was so joy. So That sounds That's awesome. It. And I did. I earned my keep. I cleaned that park when I was there. I watched the twins. And that is where I made friends with all the nannies. Ah. It was at the key park because I was one of the only moms there on a weekday. Weekends, yeah. you'd see the parents. But yeah. on the weekday, it was like, oh, my nanny friends. And we'd be hanging out. And that's how like all the Twiniversity stuff that we have about nannies, especially in the book. It's oh. because a lot of people thought I was a nanny. And uh-huh. I didn't tell them different. And then you were able to learn a lot of the stuff about nannies from them. I How did. I got, I got kind of absorbed into the nanny culture Yeah, yeah. and it was very fascinating. Cool. So that was you my know, toddler. You know what's something else? Cause I know somebody listening at home is like, oh my God, how are they not talking about this? So let's talk for a second about, um, harnesses. Mm. So leashes, the will. leashes, I know. Yes. Um, so I bought two of those for my boys and the one who actually needed to wear it refused mm-hmm. to wear it. So I had the one kid, like we went to the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. And I remember Desmond, the one who never walks off, was totally fine with wearing it. Alec, who we cannot control, refused to wear it. So it was like one normal kid on a leash and the other just like running wild. So I ditched the leashes after like one try. Cause it was like, forget it. Like, what's the whole point? Yeah. But I know a lot of families love them and mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, like, Oh, I would never put my child on a leash. But when you have twins, it's kind yeah. of like, I feel like it's a different story. I do. I'm, I'm pro leash. Uh, I personally only use them when we went on the subway and because I was so at the time, I did not have the confidence I do as a parent. I was so worried about being judged that what I would do is I would actually put it under their clothes and run it through their sleeve <laughs> so that you couldn't see that they had a leash on, but I had an extra hand. So if they let go my hand, uh-huh. I still had them. Uh-huh. Because if you got to imagine if I'm taking, and why I was taking the subway, honestly, Julie, I don't <laughs> understand. Like now in hindsight, what the hell was I doing? Well, it's difficult when you don't have a car, like, what are you going to do? Take a taxi with little kids with no car seats? Like that's also dangerous. Yeah, no. So we would just go on the subway. If somebody had to go, like my son had a lot of physical therapy and there was an occupational therapy and there was a better place in Midtown that I liked better. So I'd rather take the train. Yeah. And, but I always had leashes on them, but the way that I got them to wear them is they weren't like a legit leash. They were monkey backpacks and the tail was the leash. That's cute. So then like, they didn't care. They just put the monkey on their back. Cause that's not weird. Right. For that creator. <laughs> so, uh, but the tail would be the hold and I would run it through their shirt or run it through their jacket yeah. so that nobody could see it. But my son, hello, we were going to OT. We had some yeah. issues. 
Yeah. So I needed an, an extra layer of protection. And when did your, when did your twins start talking? Because I feel like, you know, Liz and you are, you and Liz are talking about tackling toddler behaviors. Yeah. And I feel like so much of toddler behaviors is connected to the fact that they just really are still learning how to speak yeah. and communicate. And that's why it's so difficult to deal with their behaviors because they can't tell you what they're feeling. Yeah. You know, they can, they start to, but really for us, once my kids hit two, that's when the language really started to flourish. Um, but leading up until then, you know, age one was really hard because I yeah. was like, what the hell do you want? Like, I don't understand. Well, you know, Johnny was a late talker. So we had the first, I would say three and a half years were fairly nonverbal. Yeah. So yeah. I was like panicking and panicking like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Of course, now he doesn't shut up. And my sister yeah. reminds me all the time, like when he's in his third hour of discussing, you know, the economics of a third world country and how he would change it. Uh, she often looks at me and says, remember, <laughs> I wished he would speak. And I'd be like, awesome. I remember those days, but we, Anna was always super verbal from like, you know, the jump, like I would say under a year, she started saying words and then, you know, started saying sentences, everything hit the milestone, but she would often speak for him. And between his, his control issues that he had his nonverbalness yeah. and the other tactile things that we had with him filling his sensory cup. It was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot, but they both had, they both took turns because when he had some deficits in some parts of his, you know, life, she had medical deficits. So combined, it was, it was a lot, but I do love how she knew what he was thinking and she would speak for him. Yeah, Desi did that too for Alec. He totally that's probably would why he spoke him. later too. Because Could if be? you had a spokesperson, yes, why bother? Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah totally. there, there's a lot to toddler behavior, but I'm excited for you to to hear what Liz has to say. I am too. It's cool. So are you ready to meet her? Let's do it. All right, guys, here's Liz. One of my least favorite things about being a parent of twins is dealing with two stuffy noses at the same time. If you have not yet experienced this, consider yourself lucky. But now that's why I'm so excited to share with you that there is a great product out there to help you clear out those four tiny nostrils when your twins are congested. Yes, each twin has two nostrils, just throwing that out there. Meet the Oogie Bear Better Booger Picker. Say it again with me, Oogie Bear Better Booger Picker. It safely and effectively removes stubborn, sticky mucus and dry boogers from those little noses with the Oogie Bear Booger Picker, which are great for cleaning little ears too. The patented bear head design ensures that the ends will not go too far into their tiny nose and the soft rubber scoop and loop are specifically created to be gentle enough for their tiny little noses. Also, you really should check out the Oogie Bear Nose Balm and the Oogie Bear Chest Rub. They're organic products to help clear infant airways and provide long-lasting moisture to their tiny irritated skin when they have it. The inventor of Oogie Bear is a very dear friend. She's also a doctor of pharmacy. She's also a mom of three. But more importantly, she is such an amazing inventor. And this 
item that she created has revolutionized the way that people deal with sticky mucus. So I assure you, you are in the best of hands. So to learn more, visit oogiebear.com. That's O-O-G-I-E-B-E-A-R.com. Rawr. Go clean out those tiny noses. Liz, it's time. It's time to TTB, tackle toddler behavior. It's not like GTL from um, Jersey Shore. Yeah, gym tan, laundry. Yeah, this is TTB (laughs) is what we're calling it. So tackling toddler behavior, wow, this could be a lot. And wearing kind of your special ed hat, and then you could take that off and be your mom hat. Okay. I can't, I can't even imagine what it's like to be in your house and if you, and how you kind of run your home, because it must be for, I would think that you are constantly evaluating your children. I Are am. You? Yes, See, it's I awful. That. It's awful. I can't, I've tried. My husband has told me I'd be much happier and would enjoy this process much more if I could just turn it off, but yeah. I can't, I I've tried, but it just, I've done it for so long. Well, not super duper long, but long enough to where my brain is just programmed that way. So I can't look at my kid doing something and not like go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) That's no bueno, Liz. No bueno. Now our our 20s are now two and a half years old, right? We have a a little dude and a dudette running um, rough shot over you and your family. At this moment, how was your, your pregnancy and delivery and their, their first early years? So I was very fortunate to have a textbook pregnancy given my history and, you know, the complications were warned about when we have twins or multiples in general. Um, So yeah, I delivered at about 39 weeks. Wow. Girl. Yes. Yes. And I had no issues during the pregnancy, no aches and pains. It was very, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Um, yeah. And then I delivered, um, by a C-section, no issues there. They were seven pounds and six pounds. God bless them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there was, we didn't have, you know, any complications, no NICU time. It was very much, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better experience in oh, pregnancy. I'd love to hear that. That's great. Um, as for their early years, I honestly don't remember the first six months of their life. I really, I'm, I try, like I'll go through Google photos mm-hmm. and I'll see pictures. I'm like, oh yeah, that was nice. But I don't remember being there, yes. but you know. Uh, sadly, <laughs> I wish that that was special. It's not, <laughs> it's not. My memories are in photos. Even, even me who I think people might hold me to a different standard. uh, I have barely recollection. I'm going to go not six months. I'm going to say at least seven because at seven months, I think I started getting a little bit clearer, but that's not weird. Well, look, the bright side was (laughs) you had six months of not looking at your kids with your special ed eyes. So that is true. There you go. There. <laughs> so now fast forward two and a half years old running around how is it going and especially because people always want to talk about the the terrible twos right which I kind of hate that term because then I feel like it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at, at like sometimes like maybe you have one that's 
kind of terrible, but one that's wonderful. Right. Or do we have two um, terrible, to use the worst word in the world? Are they both, how are they as far as um, structure goes in your house and listening? Are they good listeners, Liz? They are. I always are feel bad really? saying, yeah. Why do you feel bad? You should be counting <laughs> that poop from the, there should be a shirt that says my kids are good listeners. Yeah. You know, well, it's like, you know, I remember when they were about, they just turned one. And mm-hmm. like you were saying, everybody was like, oh, well, just wait until, you know, you reach two. just wait until this. And it like, it kind of gives a, the projection kind of, fills you with fear. Like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like, what am I never going to sleep again? Am I going to have to deal with this instead of just kind of taking it as it comes and, uh, you know, just, I guess not allowing other people's experiences to really infiltrate your ideals of parenting. Exactly. Because it may not happen that way. It may be completely different or it may be, you know, you just don't know until it happens. So (laughs) they they could turn terrible tomorrow, which I feel is what most people that told you that want to happen. Like I always feel like when people are saying, oh, it's not going to last. They're only going to listen for another week. Just be quiet. Right. Because that was their experiences. Whereas it's like, you know, kids are kids. One week, they might be amazing. The next week, they could just drive you nuts. Like, one week, they're human. one hour. Yeah. One hour, they could be amazing. Yeah. Five, five, every five minutes, it, things could change. Exactly. <laughs> but with having good listeners, I do, I'm already going to guess that it probably is because you've been kind of coaching them along. Yes. As a parent who, you know, has a very special expertise and you have worked previous with children of all different needs, mm-hmm. when you were, when you were in, you know, the process of raising them, whether it was, um, you know, baby blood weaning or whatever the feeding themselves, or whether it was the first time that they held a crayon, how were you different than what you imagine a typical parent might be? I could see the bigger picture. So instead of just focusing on, okay, I just need to get through this hour. Mm -hmm. I just need to get through nap time. I was more thinking, okay, what do I want to see my kids doing in five months? What do I want to see them doing in a year? And I would start with like small steps and just over time, gradually expand that to get to where I wanted, or I hoped they would be in a year or six months. That was kind of how my brain worked. And I thought, you know, that's just how everybody worked once they became a parent. You were just, but then I've just learned it's just because that's what I had to do in the classroom. So my mind is just automatically defaults to that um, avenue of thinking. Now, let's say I wanted to adopt my mind to that avenue. (laughs) Right. Let's say hypothetically, I want to start thinking about the future. I have, you know, tiny littles, or maybe I have toddlers now. What are some things that you're doing on a pretty average basis that could really benefit a family that doesn't have your expertise? I'm trying to, you know, this is behavior is just a very loaded question. It really is. Um, I think I would just start really small, such as, you know, the, the biggest, I guess, complaint that I may received or biggest thing that I hear families venting about to me is always about 
the home being chaotic, there being mm-hmm. a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, especially now, given the pandemic, things yes. are just kind of crazy. So the first thing would always be like, well, what does your routine look like? And it would really, that would probably be the first thing is just like, have a very simple, just morning routine, just mm-hmm. start there and then gradually increase over time would be how I would start things. Now, I have a question about that. You're using the word routine, right? Yes. We, we did a podcast with a mom who we, I, I have now coined the term wiggly parenting because she does not want to consider herself on a schedule. She's like okay. anti-schedule. Mm, but when you yes. really buckle down, it really is just a routine. So even if you had not started a schedule, right? The dirty word of some people, creating a routine (laughs) is pretty imperative when it comes to the the developmental behavior of your children, right? Right. Right. Because if they can't predict what's going to happen or they don't feel secure in their day, they're going to act a little bit more outrageous than they might have before. A hundred percent. Yes. And like, I, yeah, sorry. So no, I, I'm, I'm dying to know what you said, if you could remember your thought. Yes. Um, the, I just made me, it clicked when you mentioned uh, the previous person. Um, I've noticed that there is a negative connotation when you say my kids are on a schedule, my kids mm-hmm. have a routine. I, I think people automatically assume that as a parent, you're walking around with a clipboard, right? your whistle. Yes. And your stopwatch. Yes. And yes. every minute's accounted for, and there's no freedom of like free play or independent Mm -hmm. play or just you know just whatever but it's not that it's literally just giving your children some sort of um an idea of like okay this is what we need to do throughout our day Mm -hmm. this is when you need to do it what needs to be done and what's going to happen next because especially toddlers if they have no idea what's coming next like you said their anxiety goes through the roof And like their stress hormones are out of control. And that's where we see a lot of the behaviors coming from is they have no idea what their day is going to look like. Even if it's just something simple as a nap time or bedtime routine. I mean, everybody has them. You take your kids to the bathroom, they wash their hands, they read a book and they go in their bed. That right there is a routine. Mm -hmm. And the kids know, okay, I need to start winding down. Okay. It's time to settle down. I'm going to go to bed. Like you just set that stage for them. So there's no more power struggle of, you know, okay, it's time for nap. They just know by the steps that you take. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's so important. And I'm so glad that you phrased it that way with this kind of negative connotation of the whole schedule, because you really do. And I love when singleton parents are so like, you know, we're feeding on demand and we're doing everything on demand. And I think that's, that's awesome. I really Mm -hmm. do. I have, I definitely have singleton envy on many different fronts, but when it comes to (laughs) twins, you know, when you have that, that wild card, right. So like, Mm -hmm. let's say you go off your routine and you have one kid that's just a powder cake, it's going to explode all over the other kid. So Mm -hmm. you could really have this mob mentality situation when you guys go off the rails. So now talking about the, like the importance of routine and the importance of structure, when do you start implementing that into like, when did you, if your kids are two and a half, when did you really start that? So I started roughly. So just like a very rough draft version when we came home from the hospital and it was very basic. I mean, it was just like, okay, we're going to, they're, 
and I do this in quotations because mm-hmm. as newborns, it's much later than this, but their bedtime. So the yeah. time that, you know, I, my goal was to like, oh, I'm going to wash them off. or going to give them like a nice little massage, get them comfortable noise machine was like around seven thirty eight o'clock mm-hmm. because again, this is my special education brain was okay. Well in a year, I want their bedtime to be seven 30. So I'm going to start that now. There was just little things like, okay, I want their wake up time to be eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So if they wake up at six 30 for a feeding, I'll feed them and put them down, but I'm going to wake them up at eight o'clock because in a year I want them waking up at eight o'clock. So there's little things like that, that I started right away. And every day it like, it wasn't, it took probably a good three to four months before we actually reached a point where I was like, okay, this is starting to work. So it's not something that happens overnight and it obviously changes as they get older, but it was just putting little things here and there that I wanted to see in a year or two years. I can't believe that. Like, like that requires so much forethought. I could like I couldn't even get to Thursday on a Monday, <laughs> let alone thinking about a year. I think that's that's so there's so much willpower in that and and faith that it's actually going to work in that yes. year. So I think it's really really fascinating that from the hospital you were like this is what I want in one year's time. I don't know, Liz, where does that translate into like Powerball numbers? Like, is there some place that we could say, like, I would like to win Powerball with like within a year? Um, if I start planning now, is there something that that I could do? Um, oh, all, all kidding aside, like, I think I think it's such a, a smart idea to really kind of picture the future of how you want things. Do you think that by picturing the future, okay, here we go. (laughs) Do you think that it happened because you made it happen? Or do you think it happened because they got used to it? Or do you think it happened just because it was coincidence? I definitely don't think it was coincidence. I think if I were to just going the coincidence route, Mm -hmm. I think if I were to not have done any of that. And I was just like, you know, whatever happens, happens. I don't think my kids would be sleeping right now. Still. I think things would be kind of crazy because my kids are very strong willed and very much opinionated. And I know my house would be unorganized chaos if I didn't. Um, So I think it was purely just consistency. I think by just doing the same doing some things the same every single day, mm-hmm. just adapted their bodies to like, okay, I'm going to wake up at eight o'clock. Cause now they're what two and a half and they wake up at exactly seven fifty eight o'clock. Beautiful. I put them down at eight o'clock at night and yeah, they're talking and whatever, but then they go to bed. Yeah. And I think it's just, it, nothing's really changed. But then when I do deviate from the schedule, because it happens as they get older, you vacations, family mm-hmm. gatherings, holidays, things are going to shift and that's totally okay. So same yeah. thing with routines. It's okay if they deviate, you know, for special occasions and whatnot, but when they do, it's not this huge, um, what's the word? It doesn't completely demolish their entire routine. They're still able okay. to function just fine. Yeah. It's just, and I think it becomes a little bit more special because it's not something we do all the time. So then they appreciate it a little bit more. So yeah, it really, but to answer your immediate question, it's really just 
consistency. I don't think it would have happened that way if I didn't do it. And I think that's why, you know. Am I right to say that like consistency is really the key here, whether it is bedtime schedule or you got to eat your vegetables kind of thing. So like, and so now does that mean something different for a special ed teacher? Like is consistency even more important in any type of special needs environment versus a typically developing kid? Yes. Yes. Especially with um, children with autism. Uh, They're one of the common things is that uh, any change, any unwanted or any change without warning that happens, they go completely off the rails. They're, you're doing a lot of damage control, if I can yeah. say that. Um, so even more so for them. And if something is going to change as a special education teacher, it's my job to prepare them for that change weeks, if not months in advance. Okay. So I think it's even yes. more so a lot, like way more preparation. Whereas, you know, a typically developing child, you can maybe make a change a few hours yeah. beforehand or a day before and they'll just be like, okay. Yeah. And then that's, that's so true. <laughs> you know, when, when it comes, it's, you know, I never really thought about that, but with my friends that have autistic children, it's really true. It's about where you want to see them in the future and how do we get mm-hmm. to that? I never really thought of it in kind of terms of typically developing mm-hmm. kids. Now let's just say hypothetically, there's a mom or dad listening right now. They have two-year-old twins. Everything's off the rails. There's no bedtime. There's no wake time. They're still getting up in the middle of the night for some odd reason, changing diapers, having a snack, a sip of water, whatever it is. How do you start a routine kind of later on down the line if we weren't the genius that you were to really see like, okay, in a year, this is what I want. So I would start small. I would take a day to just really sit back and just look at your day as a whole. Like Mm -hmm. what is happening and what can I change? So if there's literally no no routine, no set naps, no set um, bedtimes, and it's just kind of willy-nilly, then it's kind of easy. You just start in the beginning. Like you start with your morning schedule. What do you want that to look like? So it's usually, you know, and it's going to be, I will say it will be much harder doing it later on because as we all know, toddlers have very adamant their opinions are mm-hmm. very heard and their needs are very apparent. So they will definitely push back. And I think that's when, as a parent, you need to like set clear expectations. Your, um, you need to set boundaries and mm-hmm. you need to be consistent with, I guess you can say like the consequences of not following okay. the rules in the house or, you know, getting out of their bed every you know, five minutes or every hour, you know, be consistent with that. And you'll see in the beginning, it's going to be like, well, this is not working. And that's when most parents kind of abandon ship. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, I did it for a week. It's not working. So I'm going to switch it. But that's when we need to push through and just keep doing it. And I always tell parents, give it like a good month, give it a good 30 days of consistently doing the same thing every day, whatever it is that you're trying to change or make better, 
before you decide, okay, something's not working and then go back to the drawing board. And you might just have to tweak something as simple as like, oh, well, I need to wake them up like maybe 10 minutes early or, oh, we need to put them down, you know, 30 minutes later, they're not staying up long enough rather than completely demolishing the entire thing and just going back to your old ways. Because then the next time you try to introduce something, you're like, it's going to be that much harder if that makes sense. Well, I think if you have the mindset that whatever I'm doing today is going to take effect in a year, I think that you might be less likely to quit after a week. Yes. Yes. Knowing that it's going to take time. Every day is not going to be perfect. You're Mm -hmm. going to have bad days and that's okay. You just keep, keep going. Cause I mean, like I think about, if you're working specifically with behaviors, you know, there's some behaviors that I see in my kids that I'm get really flustered with. And so I start doing certain things and it takes, I'll see like little glimpses of kind of like hope, like, okay, what I am saying is slowly sinking in. And then it might take like a full year before I actually see it happening without me having to say anything without, you know, consequences or anything like that. So I think, like you said, if you go into it, knowing that, okay, this is not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. I'm just going to need to be consistent. There's going to be days I want to pull my hair out and that's okay too. I think parents would be more inclined to keep going. Definitely. I, I think it's when you have these false expectations that everything's supposed to be perfect. If you do these five things rather than you know, understand that behaviors are super complex and it's, you know, whatever strategy or technique that we implement, it's not going to work hundred percent of the time because they're human. I I think that adults sometimes don't give credits to kids that they could have complex thoughts. You know, like, I think they're like, you're just a kid. Like, what does it matter? Just eat the green beans. Right. So I think it's, it's really adapting a new mindset for an adult to realize that we are teaching your children and none of this stuff is expected. And I love to remind families, especially when I'm teaching classes, I love to remind like families that they're just little humans that just learn how to breathe. Right. Like that's they, when they, when they are born, all we got is like the poop, pee, breathe and eat. That's it. So yeah. we got everything else is, you know, going to be a learned kind of experience, even mm-hmm. if it is eating. Now, I want to kind of jump in with some specific toddler behavior problems, and I want you to tell me what we do. I'm going to go from kind of a big one, okay? A biting. 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 What do we do in a biting situation? So we have a little vampire in the house that's trying just to eat, as vampires do. (laughs) How do we get this to stop in our home? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I would do is do not react. The, that, that's probably the first thing that pops in my head. Do not overreact. Like granted, yes, it's a big deal. We don't want our kids biting other kids. And especially if it's, you know, you're at a park Mm -hmm. with a bunch of other people, I think we're very quick to just jump the gun, but our reaction kind of sets the tone for how the rest of it's going to go. So if we overreact and we're, you know, get really loud and whatnot, 
either they're going to, I think the biggest one is they might continue to do it if it's a uh, attention seeking behavior. Mm -hmm. So I guess maybe I should backtrack a little bit. We should see now I'm all over the place. Um, I'm like, wow, there's so many things that we can do. Okay. Um, The other thing would be to look at the situation as a whole, what was happening before. And I used to call this the ABCs of behaviors, which is identify like what happened in the environment before the behavior took place. Okay. So, and that's not, and that's in no way, shape or form validating Mm -hmm. why your child or whoever's child bit someone, but it's trying to understand like, well, why did they bite? And for toddlers, it's usually they don't have a way to, they haven't learned a positive, healthy way to express like they're mad or they're upset. So, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the times it comes out as aggression. So the first thing would be to identify what's happening before that took place. Mm Because usually if we see that, we can kind of step in and be like, okay, I see that you're getting, if it's because they're mad you can pull them to the side and be like, okay, I see you're getting really mad because, you know, X, Y, and Z happen. And then validate why that it's okay to be mad. I think oftentimes as parents, we're like, don't be mad, stop crying, don't do this. When it's like, we still get mad, we still get upset, we get overly emotional about things and nobody's shaming us. So why are we expecting a two-year-old to not have complex emotions? So it's just saying, you know, I, I see that you're mad. It's okay that you're mad. It's okay to feel mad. What's not okay is we cannot bite people or we can't hit someone when we're mad and then model what they can do instead. So I know like I've seen some people kind of let them, what was the one thing I saw? Like some people let them like squeeze a stress ball or okay. some people let them, you know, kind of just separate themselves and just kind of take a break and Mm -hmm. just like cool off and, you know, maybe stomp their feet a little bit, just show behaviors that they can do that are acceptable and that you're comfortable with them doing to let that anger out instead of just shaming them for being mad. Because then over time, again, over time and in years, they're not going to feel like they're allowed to be upset about anything. And then you're just going to have this, you know, motionless rock who just, yeah. you know, I don't know if that, I kind of no, went a little all does, over the place. <laughs> it's well, un, I, I was able to follow it. I hope that our listeners too, but this is all very normal to me. So for me, having a child who had a, a significant sensory issue, this was like my language, right? right? So in the in the very, very beginning. So it's it's tough. It's really, it really challenging to like when you have that first bite you know, not Mm -hmm. to overreact. Now, would you use that same philosophy of the identify? What was the other one? So it was identify. So the ABCs were first one is identify. What's the B? The B is the behavior that took place. Okay. And then C is usually the consequence. And I know some people are, you know, sensitive to the word consequence, but you know, there has to be some type of repercussion for biting because it's unacceptable so then that's next and so then you know if consistently over time so the whole purpose of the abcs is to know what it is that's triggering them Mm -hmm. to act out in this specific way Mm -hmm. and 
for us as a parent to be able to provide our children the tools. So that way, when they are mad, yeah, their initial reaction is not, I'm going to bite this kid. It's going to be like, I'm going to go draw. I'm going to go as, you know, obviously two-year-olds, it might be different, but like, as they get older, they can start to identify. And this comes from us, what things they can do that will help calm them, whether it's talking mm-hmm. to somebody, drawing, listening to music, going to play at like, just go to the room for a little bit, whatever it is, it might be different as they get older, but that should be the, the end goal. Yeah. Is that when they're frustrated, they have an outlet that's healthy and positive, not aggressive behavior, because it will only get worse as the kids get older. If there's no, we're not, there's no learning opportunity in there. We're not teaching them an alternative than that. So it's really teaching alternatives from the beginning, no matter Mm -hmm. how young a situation arises, it should always be looked at as a learning opportunity, just figuring out kind of what the strategy of that learning is going to be depending upon their age. Yes. Look at me. I love a good summer. Yeah, I was like, wow, this is wonderful. Thank you. you. That's, That's what I like. Now I have the next topic that I want to talk about is food. So how do we kind of tell a picky eater from a food aversion? And what do we do in that situation? Because of course you have kids who are like, I'm not eating this green bean. And then you have other kids that eat the green bean and really want to eat the green bean and then throw it up all over the place. As a special ed um, kind of professional, right? How do we identify when a behavior is behavioral or when it is something that I need to speak to my pediatrician about. And so, and and specifically when it comes to food. So for food, food food can be very tricky because, man, it just changes so drastically every day, I feel like. Um, For me, if I could uh, share personal experience here um, with my kids uh, and again, this is all setting the expectation from day one is mm-hmm. like, okay, um, this is what we're having. And granted now it's changed because, well, you know, you give them choices now, but mm-hmm. you know, when they're younger, before we reached that point, it was like, this is what's for dinner and what's on the, like, I didn't take over during mealtime. I wasn't dictating like, you need to eat this. No, you need to eat your green beans first. No, you need to eat that chicken. I kind of gave them a plate and then I just ate. And the best way I was able to describe this to other people, because they're like, well, you know, they, they're supposed to be eating this, but they have to eat that. I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, well put yourself in their shoes. What if your husband walked up to you and was like, no, 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 you don't get more green beans yet. You need to eat that chicken or no, you need to eat this first before you eat that. Like you would be fuming and aggravated. So then I think about it for my kids sake, like, okay, well, if I'm doing that to them, I'm like, of course, they're not going to want to eat this or they're going to get frustrated. So mm-hmm. I just give them, you know, small, por- the best thing too is small portions. They can always ask for more, but if there's so much on their plate, it's going to be very overwhelming and they're going to not eat at all. Um, but I guess like if you're, <sighs> You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to figure out how, I think we lost your sound for a second too. Check to make you're sure your mic didn't fall out just now. I'm here. 
Okay, good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because I, I know that some parents, like when they're, they're raising their kids and they don't want to eat things, but then there are some situations where kids, whether it's the feel of the food in their mouth, that they can't eat it and it's too much right. for them. How does a parent determine that? Because I think, especially if you don't have food allergies or there's nothing special in your family, as far as like food aversions go, how does a parent determine when it is just like a kid who doesn't want to eat a pee to a kid that can have that pee in their mouth, not doesn't want that pee in their mouth, but can't, but can't have, have it. it. Yeah. So the behavioral aspect is say you serve them dinner and they don't want to eat anything, but they're asking for something else mm -hmm. like, well, I don't want this. I want peanut butter and jelly. Well, no, this is what I made for you. This is what we're going to have. Like sticking mm -hmm. to this is what we're going to eat would be because I, I, I've seen it like the parent will give them the food. They're like, no, I don't want that. I want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then the parent goes and makes them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. And so it's just, I guess it's really it can be so complicated. It really can. And you know, it's it really, such, these are like such loaded questions. And I totally know that by the way, I'm not setting you up for failure by no, any means. I, know. I just it's know just... that like for all my friends that are in, um, special ed, right. So yes. my God sisters, my, my number one, my like number one BFF talk to her a million times a day. Whenever you ask her a specific question, it's not that here's the answer. It's like, I need to know the history of this question and right. what is the environment like and what did they have before? Like, it's so interesting. And this is why, honestly, if anybody is in doubt and they're like, maybe my child needs a special ed professional, um, you really should speak to your pediatrician and let them kind of make an ultimate call. But if you still do not trust your pediatrician, which I hope that you do, but most states do have the availability that you could call in specialists, especially with an early intervention, most states have an opportunity for you when you're kids are under the age of three to have evaluations of, of anything. But we're kind of talking about like typical toddler behavior before. And while I don't want Liz to go totally crazy and hate me and never speak to me again, no. it's always, it's interesting because sometimes like kids can't do something and parents don't know that it could be a bigger fish to fry. I think also in our community, Liz, like as parents of twins, mm -hmm. it's not that uncommon for a kid to need a little PT. So a little physical therapy, a little bit of occupational therapy. It's not that unusual, especially if they were born premature, depending mm -hmm. on how premature they were born. And I know that um, whenever we've been interviewed by any pediatrician, I mean, any special education professional, no matter what division it was, the very first thing they ask you is how old were they? Like how many weeks did you deliver the map? Mm -hmm. And still to this day, 16 years later, it's still asked. Mm -hmm. Interesting that while I thought that prematurity was kind of like, a, eh, you know, we got a free, few years and then we catch up. There are still certain things that don't get developed fully if your mm -hmm. kids didn't kind of cook in the oven the entire time. So right. that always plays a role. And I appreciate when a doctor takes time to really do kind of that like pregnancy evaluation or mm -hmm. jumping in on what the strategy of kind of, you know, coming up with a solution for the issue is. So, you know, it is a very specific thing, but I'm always so fascinated by special ed teachers that are, um, that really are parents because it's so like, it's, it's, you're holding your kids to a very different standard. 
mm-hmm. and other people may. And it's not that you're doing it because you want them to be perfectionists, but you're doing it perhaps a little bit out of concern and maybe even fear because you're like, okay, I've seen what could happen, right? I Mm -hmm. I know what exists out there. So I'm going to just take all the tools that I know, (laughs) and I'm going to throw them at these kids because not only are the things that you learn very specifically pertaining to them, but I would strongly imagine that it brings you a lot of comfort to know that your own kind of professional experience could such greatly benefit the people right in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. It's like our dentist parents, like their kids always have the best teeth, but nobody, they really (laughs) do, right? And whatever it is, is if you're an optician, your kids have like 20, 20, no matter what, it's they're always, if you have any type of specialty that kind of revolves around pediatrics of any type, Mm -hmm. that parent is always going to look through a pediatrician's eyes, I suppose, before a parent's eyes, because you can't control it. You know, you were a special ed teacher a lot longer than you're a mom right now. Yes. Yes. And I think that's why the toddler years aren't very overwhelming for me. And I didn't go into it with a lot of fear because I'm like, well, you know, I've seen, I've seen worse. So I, I think, I think I'll be okay. I think I can do this. Oh, I love it. I love the, the identify and then, you know, correct the behavior and then have some kind of consequence. I, I truthfully, that would apply to anything. Other things that I was going to ask about now, we know like headbanging, I think would be very similar to biting, Mm -hmm. right? So identify why they're doing it. And people often think that this is like going to be a catastrophic issue that my toddler is having, but there's plenty of kids who want to bash their little head against the wall for one reason or another. Right. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's, it's more common for parents to see biting, kicking, hitting, head banging as like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with my kid yes. versus like, well, do they have the tools to express that they're mad? Like, mm-hmm. are, is there communication? Like, are they, are they able to communicate clearly to me or another adult that something's wrong? You know, what's happening before we get to this point? Like there's Mm -hmm. all these little things that could lead up to that. It's not just like, Oh, there's something wrong with my kid. I need to go get them diagnosed. It's not always that case. And I think sometimes we get a little uh, wound up if we see something abnormal instead of just kind of taking a deep breath and Mm -hmm. looking at the environment as a whole, because there's so many reasons kids could be acting a specific way. Yeah. And it could be something as simple as like, they didn't sleep enough. It's too cloudy and they don't like it. It could Mm -hmm. be, you know, over too much stimulation, too much screen time. It could be food, food issue, like, uh, food sensitivities, like yeah, food dyes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like my son has that. And we figured that out, you know, very abruptly. And I was like, okay, that's what that is. And then, you know, we were able to remove that and we're like, oh, yeah. everything's great now. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's so many different things. And I think if you don't have that mindset from the get-go, it's very hard to view it through that. I think there's a lot more fear. Yeah. Yeah, there is a lot more fear. There totally is a lot more fear because if you're saying, you know, my kid's banging their head against the wall, what's, what's happening. And then you're looking for every other sign of autism or a sensory issue, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's not saying that it might not be there, but if you keep looking, 
you might create, you might find things that really aren't there. Right. You might create an issue that was never there. Exactly. Like if they're not making eye eye contact, it could be because the television is on. To the right. left of you. You exactly. know, like, of course, they're not going to make eye contact. It's Ernie. I'd be looking at Ernie too. <laughs> exactly. So I, I really love this conversation, Liz. And I love that how, you know, truthfully, I think that the listeners that are going to hear this are going to be a little scared to kind of go into things thinking like, I have to do something now. So it takes effect in no. a year. Oh gosh, no, no, no. But, it, but Liz, truthfully, I think it would get people motivated to start a new routine or start yes. a new bath time or bedtime or whatever it is, because we could, we pretty much could do anything, right? Like parents of twins in general, like, holy crap, Ola, we are impressive people, but sometimes yes. it does seem never ending. Right? It does. On this yes, carousel, doing everything yeah, you can't get off. It just keeps going. But mm-hmm. if you know, okay, I got to be on this carousel for a year, it seems a lot more tolerable. It does. It really, it does. And, and it seems like a long time, but I will, I will say it again. I've said it a million times before the hours are long, but the years are short. Yes. So yes. you just have to take a breath and come up with a strategy. Mm-hmm. But remember like Liz, you need to, you, it it is not the worst idea to realize that the minute that they get home from a hospital, you are no longer just a parent, that you really are a teacher. Mm -hmm. And those two terms, whether you have a degree in it or whether you never wanted a degree in it, all eyes are on you and Mm -hmm. you're going to be the one that sets the tone. So if you're listening to this and you're expecting, have a conversation with your partner about what a a realistic routine might look like in the future. It doesn't always have to be perfect, but if you're somebody that has littles right now and you haven't developed a a routine, Liz gave us some great hints today on how to start something instead of just, you know, Jedi mind tricking them into, Mm -hmm. you know, what's going to happen. It's going to take time, but really it's only too late if you don't start now. Mm -hmm. Nothing is too late. Everything is fixable, no matter what it is. You right. know, whether the kids are saying no to you 27,000 times a day, they might not actually be saying no. They might just really love the word that I love. Exactly. I love when kids are like, no, no, no. And you're yeah. like, stop saying no to me. Why yeah. do you say no so or much? Or they just learned what no is and they yes. just want to say it all the time. It's fascinating. Yeah. Don't it's like it a personal. it's like a drunk girl that's like petunia, and that's just yeah. the way their lips petunia. Say it, exactly. it feels weird. So kids get, <laughs> kids get that too. Certainly, they're not little drunk girls in the corner. But you know, when when something new happens, or if they have even a new sensation, the biting could be a new sensation. There's mm-hmm. so many reasons why, and I love the identify. You know, I I really think that not enough people stop and look around. And that actually makes me think of CPR. Yes. Because one thing you do is kind of like you check around you, right? Mm -hmm. Before you start doing anything else. It's, it really brought that back to me. And I'm, I'm so happy that you, you know, took some time to chat with us today. I really do appreciate it because I think the eyes that you see through are so unique and I love also that you have, you know, two at once. It certainly doesn't, oh, you're, definitely, you. <laughs> you're definitely partial. I mean, come on. Plus you got the whole boy girl set like me. So I, I'm extra, <laughs> extra partial, but I, I thank you so much for the strategies that you've kind of given us today. And, and really, I think it's, it's great that people there's, you should never lose hope, right? Like no matter mm-hmm. how bad things are today, yeah. they could hopefully be better tomorrow. 
They are. Yeah. Like just, you know, when you have a bad day, just let it go. I mean, you're not, I think the biggest thing, like, especially moms, moms, Mm -hmm. first and foremost, anytime like they have a bad day or their kids have a bad day, it's just, Oh, I'm this awful parent. I'm horrible. Mm -hmm. But it's like, no, you just had a bad day. It's not a big deal. Just let it go and show up tomorrow. Like that's, it doesn't define who you are as a parent or a person or who your kids are. I love it. I'd love to scrap a day. I remember when they were little and I'm like, this day's a wash. Yeah. It's, it's, it's washed. It is what it is. That's it. Call, call it a rain day. We get to yep. start all over again tomorrow. And we're very, very lucky to be able to get up tomorrow and start all over again. So thank you so mm-hmm. much for playing with us, Liz. Yes, thank you for having me. Yay. It's my pleasure entirely. All right, guys, if you have questions for Liz or for me, you could email us at community at twiniversity.com or you could drop us a DM on any social platform. We're literally just at Twiniversity on everything. We're very boring. And last but not least, I love to say this now. I used to hate it, but smash that subscribe button. Make sure that you subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast as well. But we don't want you to miss great tips from mamas like Liz that are going to hook us up with some great advice so we could have a better life tomorrow. Until next time, guys. See you later, alligators. If you think this podcast isn't the worst We got great news for you. There's actually a lot more to Twiniversity than what you're listening to right now. We have classes for expectant twin families. We have classes for breastfeeding twin families. We have a peer-to-peer mentorship program. We have the book, What to Do When You're Having To. We have a thriving social network, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, wherever you want to hang out. We will meet you there. So to get kind of a fuller picture of all that Twiniversity has to offer you, head on over to twiniversity.com and check out the latest information that we think you need to know today.